Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 14. I remember uh, talking to my dad and saying, hey, you know, we've talked about going elk hunting um, for a long time. Let's do it. And so we started to plan the trip. We knew it would take about two years for us to save up the money, and at least for me to save up the money, and figure out where we're going and all that fun stuff. So we, we started planning that trip. Uh, that, that goes back to my youth. My dad went out elk hunting, I believe, three times whenever I was a kid, a real young kid. And being an Ohio boy, uh, not used to seeing an animal that big, the fact that he was going out there doing that, I, th- I thought it was just awesome. And I, I just remember going over his pictures. Now, they weren't on his phone back then, so for you younger guys, I was going through an album. We actually used to print off pictures and, and put them in an album. I remember flipping through and just seeing uh, the beauty of Colorado and seeing uh, just the fun that my dad had while he was out there. And he would always want to talk about how he was going to take us sometime. And guys, you know, sometimes life happens and, and those, those dreams that you have don't always come to fruition. Um, but we started planning this trip uh, sometime around 2014, 2015, I believe. And 2016 rolls around and that's the year we were supposed to go and that's the year my dad got cancer. And um, so uh, my dad wasn't able to go, but my dad paid. He said I was going regardless of if I wanted to or not. He actually paid for me to get on a flight because uh, I'd lost basically everybody that was coming from Ohio uh, bowed out after that. And so uh, my dad paid for me to hop on a plane to go from Ohio out to um, uh, Colorado and um, was able to meet up with some cousins there and we hunted hard for you know a few days and um, I saw some elk but was never able to get a shot and I tell you what though I, I fell in love with with Colorado fell in love with elk hunting itself and I said if I ever go back not if but when I go back I'm going to have a bow in my hand and I'm going to learn how to do this whole calling thing um, I love turkey hunting and we've been talking about that some on the podcast we're taking a little break from that I realize sometimes you know we can have a lot of turkey hunting stories and uh, we'll get back to that but uh, this week I thought you know what there's there's a guy that's really been a great resource uh, it's a guy that you might not consider average this is a well-known guy if you've spent any time uh, in elk hunting doing research this name has came up in fact, you've probably heard of the nickname Elknut. <laughs> Elknut Paul Medell is a guy that I have learned so much from. And what I love about Paul um, is that he is so willing to help the average Joe out. Um, he has resources. He has an app. And I don't think this guy is in it for the money at all. I think he really cares about helping folks become better elk hunters and better elk callers. And so I thought, you know what, there's a guy I'm going to reach out to. And he responded right back, said he would love to p- come on the podcast. And I uh, sat down with Paul yesterday, and we had a fantastic time. I just love hearing his stories. Paul is really good at tactics. Um, he talks a lot of tactics on a lot of other podcasts. Uh, what we focused on was more just the story and some amazing stories that he had uh, with his son, taking his son out. 
Um, I hope one day that I'm able to take my daughter uh, or daughters out and let them at least see Colorado. If they're hunting, great. If not, that's okay. Just to see the beauty of the mountains would be fantastic. Um, But today we're going to go ahead and jump into that podcast with Paul. I will tell you it's a little bit longer, but I don't think you'll mind. Um, I try and keep these podcasts short, but if I feel a podcast, if the stories are just rich and they're great and they're good, uh, I don't want to try and cut them off just because of my little time time rule. So if, if you can't listen to the whole thing, That's all right. I hope you'll uh, come back. I'm going to tell you, he tells, uh, I think, three different stories, maybe four, and and the last one is definitely worth coming back to listen to. Every time, what I love about Paul's storytelling is he sets the story up. He talks a little bit about the tactics, and I mean, every story had my heart pumping, (laughs) wanting to know how it ended, and uh, so he does a great job. He was a great guest, and I hope that you interview, uh, I hope you enjoy this interview with Paul Medell. All right, guys, I am here. I'm with somebody that you have uh, most likely, if you've spent any time in the elk world, uh, this name has came up. Uh, He's a guy that is just a friend to hunters, loves to help people out. He's helped me out a great deal, has an app that teaches people how to call, a lot of resources out there. He's from Idaho. I'd like to welcome Paul Medell. Hey, thanks, Travis, for having me on. I, I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, I, I mean, I tell you, I, Paul, I, it's been probably three or four months, and I've been hunting for a couple of years, Elk, but I found out about you, and um, I mean, I've been eating up all the stuff, so you got an app and a lot of things like that. Um, man, it's some good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, there's so many people out there these days that are getting into elk hunting, and some that's even done it for years, and they're still trying to soak things up like a sponge, and you can't blame them. You've been out there. You've elk hunted. You've heard the bugling. It's so addictive, and and you just want to know more about it, and how can you be more of a part of it? It, It's not all about putting an animal on the ground, but it's that interaction, and and you just – you can't wait to hear your next bugle, can you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went out in 2016. I I never heard a bugle. It was second rifle season. And I mm-hmm. said, if I ever go back out again, it'll be during archery season. And I, I, people have told me I'm crazy for taking a bow. But to me, getting into that calling game, that is, that's what I want to do. And that's, that's what I know you're good at. So <laughs> I'm excited to pick your brain a little bit and hear some of your, your stories today. Well, you know, that's where the action is. I, I started out as a rifle hunter, too, and, it, and there was nothing wrong with that. I enjoyed it, and in, I'm not above picking up a rifle again. I mean, there's just there, there's different avenues that people kind of seek out. What are their strengths? Why do you want to bow hunt? But, of course, I do bow hunt mostly because of the interaction between the elk and, and, and trying to beat them at their own game. But it's just so darn exciting to have that bow in your hand, knowing the distances are limited and it challenges your skills as a hunter to, to be able to get them into position and yourself into position without blowing it. And you'll have plenty of those. We all do, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Paul, take us back. Let's get back. Uh, speaking specifically of archery, um, take us back to the the first time you went after an elk with a bow. How did that story, how did it all work out? How did you get your first archery, uh, let's say bull, on the ground? How did that all, all play out? You know, it, it's funny that you ask it. And, and as a matter of fact, you actually had asked me that earlier. And, and I have racked my brain beyond your imagination. <laughs> and I don't know what it was. I don't know the first elk I ever took with a bow. Oh, I, wow. You know, I'm serious as a heart attack here. I cannot remember the first elk I took with a bow. I just, I don't. I, 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 ha- I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and I don't know. I, I, I've taken quite a few, 
That's and a good problem to have, right? Well, I don't know <laughs> the first one, though. And yeah. it's really after you kind of mentioned that to me on an email, you know, just so everybody knows, you know, no tricks here is I kept trying to think and I asked my wife and she didn't know either. I know, But what I do know is I know the very first bull my son took, I, you know, because uh-huh. he used to go with me when he was five years old and six and seven. And I took him on some of the oh, gnarliest elk hunts you ever saw, you know, and then when he turned 12. He's 40 now. He'll be 41 this year. That's when I picked up the bow for elk, which was 29 years ago. It'll be 30 this year. And that's when I picked it up. But I do not recall when I what I did, who, what it was. I've tried to go through photos. The biggest problem is early on years ago, I had no idea there was ever going to be an elk nut thing. I mean, so it wasn't like I was preparing for it or, you know, I was just, I remember I didn't, I, 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 I didn't come from a hunting family or anything like that. And so it, there wasn't, you know, oh, you do this and you do this and you're going to go through an album later in life. I didn't even think about it. I never, I don't even have my son's photos of his first elk. Lots of them. I just didn't even think of it. And so, but I do remember the story and it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's uh, hear that. I'm, I'd how love about to hear that? that? His first bull. All right, let's do it. And 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 Paul is uh, Paul is twelve years old, and like I say, he's been going with me quite a bit. I can remember the very date, and the reason being is we had a wildfire going in the area we wanted to hunt. It was a forest fire. I mean, this thing had already burned thousands and thousands of acres, and so the area we wanted to go into was real smoky. And as we left early in the morning, about an hour and a half or so before light, we went up to a this particular trailhead, which. You know, 30 years ago, there was nobody using these types of trailheads like today. They're people magnets. And so there was this area we were going to hit and we went up and it was real smoky everywhere, but you couldn't see any flames. So we go up into this area and we maybe get from where we parked the rig. We probably got close to a mile and we got a bull to bugle. And this was kind of in the early stage, even though I've been studying elk for quite a few years, I still had so much to learn 30 years ago. But, you know, I was trying to get a handle on it. But we got a bull to bugle and he wouldn't come. And he just kept bugling and bugling. And I tried calling him up and we were probably still 200 yards apart. So I remember telling my son, this is all part of the hunt that day. And so I remember telling my son, I'm just going to bugle and charge this bull. That's what I'm going to do. And you just wait right here. And and he's 12 years old, sitting on the mountainside. And so he says, okay. So I end up doing that. I actually got up to about 200 yards, and I started running at this bull that was bugling in the timber. And I bugled my way all the way. Just bugling, 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 bugling. And I thought I got to like 30, 40 yards from where I heard his last bugle. And I stopped and knocked an arrow. I got down on one knee. I'll never forget this. And I got down on one knee. And this is his day, of course. And a bull come walking straight onto me out of nowhere. That bull, how he didn't see me running, I have no idea, but he was a five-by-six bull. He walked straight up within, I would say, five to seven yards from me, and he is staring over the top of me. He does not see me. He's just staring, and I'm looking at him, not drawn, and I'm just kind of bug-eyed, staring this thing down, and all of a sudden, he turns around, loses interest, and goes away, and I knew a nervous grunt could stop him, and so I kind of give him that... You know, just kind of with my voice, and he turned and looked over his back. No shot. He did not turn broadside, uh-huh. and he walked out of my life. Well, in the meantime, my, where I left my son, he said he heard another bull bugle. And so he took off. I went back to where he was. He was gone, you know, at 12 years old. And I'm like, 
where in the heck did he go? And so I'm kind of wandering around. I only went maybe 50, 60 yards and I heard a bull. And so I thought, well, maybe Paul heard that. And so I kind of start drifting over there, just slowly looking for him and hear the bull at the same time. And I see my son and I don't see the bull. The bull just is gone. Paul had saw this bull. He had heard this bull while I ran down after this other one. And so he goes over there and tries to get get in, in position to shoot at this bull. He said he shows me where the bull comes in. He said he went in there. He never said anything. He could hear him bugling. So he walked over and he said, I got within 30 yards of him. And he said, I must have just got nervous because when I shot, my, I saw my arrow go like a mile over the top of him. Bull took off <laughs> and ne- neither one of us did anything with that bull at that time. So now we're heading up the ridge. We're going up the ridge, and we can hear some really distant bugles. And mind you, it is so smoky. It is It is like we can see maybe 125 yards. And we were actually kind of surprised that there was nobody there to stop us from going down that road. Because, But I think it was because it was so dark. They Nobody was there yet because usually they will put a barrier up and nobody can go because of the fires. But anyway, we're in there. We come up to the top of this ridge. Now we're probably two miles back. We come up to the top of this ridge, and I bugle, and a bull bugles down on the bottom. And, I mean, he's close to a half a mile down there. You could just hear him. I bugled again, he bugled. I bugled again, he bugled. Now, this bull, when he was bugling, I could tell he was really putting some serious emotion behind his bugle. He was answering me very fast. And when a bull does that, he's not. He's upset. He's not happy. When a right. bull's not happy, you'll notice he hits you really quick. If he is... And he's more, uh, he doesn't really care if you're there. He's responding because you are. You'll see time lapse between them, maybe 30 seconds, a minute. Then he'll bugle. He may even invite you down. It's not a big deal. Sometimes they're in bachelor groups, two or three. And one more doesn't mean anything to him. But when you have a bull that has cows, usually it's the opposite. So I could tell he's very defensive. So I told my son, let's bail off down there. We'll go right on down there and we'll try to get in on top of him because the bull was bugling fairly regular now. So now we go on down. We get down right near the bottom. I knew the bull beagle to the right. The wind's coming down. So we made sure we had the wind right. So as we're walking down through there, kind of toward where we last heard him bugle, we're kind of more on the same level with this bull now, even though we dropped down to the bottom. And it's probably still maybe a couple hours after daylight. And as we're moving through real slow, there's a huge rock to our right and we're probably within five yards of it and this rock is the size of a Volkswagen it's huge and I let out a bugle nothing so we're both standing there he's standing behind me with his bow I'm standing in front of him and not knowing what was really going on and where the bull was and all of a sudden we're we're standing next to this rock I saw antlers coming right next to the rock this bull had heard me bugle but never said anything and he was walking over to where we were and i could see it was a six-point bull and as he came over before i seen his head before i saw anything i drew my bow i had an arrow knock paul did not have an arrow knock i drew my bow and as soon as i did the bull stopped uh stepped out stepped out completely broadside i mean this thing isn't even 10 yards away and as soon as i drew it my re- my arrow popped off of my rest and landed on my wrist. Oh, and no. this is and I am at full draw and I have this arrow <laughs> sitting on my wrist and this bull is just staring at us both. And we're not moving, we're not saying anything, and I'm doing everything as I grip of my bow with my left hand to visualize this. I am trying to pro- click that wrist real hard with my hand trying to pop the thing back up on the rest and that arrow won't move as a matter of fact it's climbing down my forearm and i have nothing 
and I'm at full draw thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And I kind of whispered to my son. I said, get an arrow and draw your bow. And he just, he doesn't say anything. And next thing I know, he steps up from my side. His bow is at full draw and lets that arrow fly. And he shoots that bull right through the heart. Oh my gosh. This bull runs off. I see him go about 50, 60 yards and we see him fall. So we back off. And, and Paul is shooting a 40-pound bow. This, bow, bow, this bow, uh, bow is a 40-pound Hoyt Raider. Not a lot of ump. It's a compound. One of those old, we were talking 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. The little wheels, you know, I mean, they're as big as a silver dollar, you know. And he's shooting a 400-grain arrow with a three-bladed broadhead. It was, a, it was a brute, brute force, I believe, three-bladed by Barry Archery. Anyway, I see this arrow sink up to the fletchings. So for guys wondering how much power you need, you'd, you'd be surprised what a 40-pound bow can do. Anyway, we see this bull, so we back off. So now we're sitting there waiting for this bull to expire. And get a load of this. So I'm telling my son, man, that is so great. You were able to draw back. He goes, Dad, you know what? I said, what? He says, when I drew the bow back, the arrow popped off my rest like yours, and it landed right by my index finger. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just... Tipped it up real quick, and it jumped back on my wrist. And then I shot. I thought, you're kidding me. And the same thing happened to him, which I didn't even get to see. But he goes, yeah, popped right off. And I was like, are you kidding me? But anyway, so we have this bull. And and so we decide we're going to walk up. 20, 25 minutes has gone by. We can see him laying over there, but he looks dead. As we walk up to this bull, he jumps up and takes off. He doesn't look like there's any life in him at all. And so we come back, I, I, we leave him alone right there, and I go, this bull's going to die. But wow, I thought he was already dead. So we backed out, we decided, you know, we're going to go get some help to get him out. As we get back down, we, it's really bad smoke. We get back down, we head back into town, because we live, you know, here in Idaho, and so we only drove about 45 minutes to this spot. We get my, my uh, uh, it's my, uh, my son-in-law and my father-in-law, and we come back over there, and as we're going back up, they now have a barrier, and they didn't want to let us through. Oh, so no. we told them, yeah, we said, we have an elk over here. He's down. you got to – and they didn't want to let us through, and we begged and pleaded, and finally they said, okay, but you have to get that animal and get out. The fire is really coming close. So we're sorry. Yeah, okay. So they let us through, and, we, and it was probably still 20 miles away. So we run up there. As we get there, man, was the smoke bad. We get back over there. We end up finding that bull within one hour. We break him down, and as we're getting him out, by the time all this is said and done from getting the bull, going back, getting the guys coming back, we're now encroaching on dark, and we're two miles from the rig, and we're up on a knob where we got the bull up to the top. And we can look across where my truck is parked, and the entire mountainside is on fire. I mean, it's just nothing but flames. And we're wondering, if that we're, we're parked off a dirt road, and we're wondering, is that thing, did it cross the road? It was that close. We hustled our butts down with the meat and the rack. There was four of us, and away we went all the way down. And when we got back to that truck, that fire was within 150 yards of our pickup. And we are talking about some intense heat. And talk about getting out of there and hoping that fire wasn't somewhere on the road between us and where we finally left it. That was my son's first elk and how all that oh my transpired. But what you don't see now, you see why I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, like my, my jaw is like hanging down. The... <laughs> Just, I'm talking... has, has anybody approached you about turning that into a Hollywood movie? Because that would be... <laughs> <laughs> no, but Wonder you should have what... seen the, the, the flames. If you don't think of, of the flames when they get that intense heat, can't burn green timber... 
you should have heard yeah. it. It was crackling. It was so, I mean, we're staring at it. We're like, you know, are we even going to get out of here? And I can't believe that guy let us back up. Now that I saw where the fire yeah. came from, what the winds did. I mean, it was intense. Yeah. My son's 12 years old and I'm, you know, I'm worried about him more than anything else as well as the others. But it was, it was just the fact that we had to drive out of there. Like, a ma- and we never saw another person on the road. It was just a matter of getting out of there. And we literally, it took us probably at least 15 miles to get away from all that mm-hmm. before we knew we had made it out of there. And nowhere did the fire cross the road. But there was places there was no no way was it more than 50 yards off that road. Mm-hmm. And I mean flame. And I'm not talking some little campfire things here. I'm talking the entire mountainside just blazing. And you could see the flames hitting the bottom of the trees and just shooting up them. I mean, it was like they were full of gasoline. I mean, it was intense. That's the only time I'd ever seen that in my life, you know, being that close to it. The only time but, you'd want to, really. <laughs> it was with an elk it, in the you got that bull, and, you know, that was kind of the story behind it. it. It wasn't some great big monster calling or anything. It was just kind of the right place. No, and he did. He was. He ended up being a herd bull. He definitely was the one. He had cows over there. And, and like many times, when we get a bull down, uh, the cows will come over by the bull. And sometimes yeah. we have to throw rocks at them. They won't leave. I mean, yeah, in this case, there are several that were standing around and waiting for him to get up. He was totally dead then. But the point is, is a lot of times you will have a bull down, and if he has cows, they just they stand right there. They I did do not know not, that. Huh. Oh, this has happened so many times. So if you got another guy with you and he's your cow, I'm telling you, this happens a lot. So don't celebrate too much or loudly, you know, because so many times if they do have some, they hang around. And I mean – I've literally had to throw rocks at the cows to get them out. They would oh not. Goodness. And they're pawing the ground and slamming as we're walking up to the bull. And I mean, we're 15 yards from them. And they are, they're very defensive at times. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, this, you, you never know what happens out there in the well, elk world. I was going to, I was going to ask you, you know, one of you, maybe to tell a story about the craziest elk hunt, but you might have just told it. I don't know. Is there, <laughs> is there any, uh, any other crazy stories like that that you've experienced in, in the last, what you said, 27 years uh, or so? I mean, that's, that's a lot of elk hunts. Anything else? Uh, any other stories that just kind of, you know, just peak, you know, in your mind whenever you think about looking back at those years? Oh, yeah, there's 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 a handful of them, you know, and it and it seems like the handful of them. My son and I hunt together in most cases. If we don't, we're we're solo. So mm-hmm. we're not hunting with other people. A lot of guys know there's an elk nut team. There's five of us, but we don't hunt together. Those guys hunt by themselves. They don't even hunt together. Two of them. So just so folks know that it's 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 either my son and i or or alone but then we will go help others you know but but in most cases when we have a bow if we help others we don't have a bow we never bring a bow with us we're just calling so you know that's more of that atmosphere but most of the situations are me calling for my son that are the most uh the ones that have left a, an impression on my mind and i can remember <clears throat> Oh my gosh, there's so many of them. As I'm saying, I, I I didn't know you were gonna ask it like that, and that's fine <laughs> because so many go rattling through my mind. I think one of the one of the to me one of the funniest ones, not the most intense. I have like the top five that are embedded in my mind, mm-hmm. and this one is number three. I have a number one as well, but I the number three. Uh, very unusual situation 
this was this this was one i won't even say what happened there at this point this is one where my son and i were walking up an old skid road we parked and we were about two miles up he was carrying uh uh, uh, recurve, and I was using a longbow. We 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 re- used recurves and longbows for uh, four years in a stretch just to see. And we killed a bull each year with them too. But oh, we wow. just wanted to see what the challenge was like. People had said we had killed so many elk, you know, with our compounds. And then they said, if you really want to try hunting them, go this route. And and so we did. We decided, and two months before elk season. Two months. Oh, wow. Never shot one wow. in my life. And, and, and when both of us killed bulls that same year. And then the success, succeeding years. And then elk nut started taking off so much that I just, you know, it takes a lot of dedication to shoot a, a recurve and longbow. You, you have to shoot daily, like a couple, two or three months before the season, yeah. just to stay sharp and not get rusty. But on this one day, this is what we were carrying. And so we're heading up the mountain and uh, off the skid road. We went on about two miles, and it's still dark. We heard a bull bugle to our left. We're like, all right, we know there's a bull over here. So we really start hot-footing it, trying to get uh, about to where he is, and he's probably a half a mile away from us. And we and he bugled again and again, and each one was getting further away, so we knew he was heading to his bedding area. And he kept bugling, so we knew there must be another bull somewhere. We couldn't hear him. We could only hear that bull. And so he was trying to warn another one to stay back as he took his cows up. I knew this bull had cows. There was no doubt in my mind, just his defensive action. And so we kept going, going, going. It took us 45 minutes as we got up to the top. And we knew this area a little bit where elk like to bed, sort of. You know, they're never in the same spot, but they'll get on this mountainside type thing. And so he did head up in this area. And once we got high enough up, we heard a second bull. This other bull was probably, I'm going to estimate, six to 700 yards away. And these bull, two bulls were bugling back and forth. And just for education purposes, yeah. do you know why bulls do that? No, I, I was about to ask that. Why, why would those two that distance be, be talking like that? Because they both had cows. So when, you, when two bulls have cows, this is a very common scenario. This was not a satellite and a herd bull. If it was... You would notice the two bulls would have been much closer together. The satellites would have been more of an uh, in a harassing mode because he was showing interest, and so the, he would generally be within two hundred yards of that herd and maintain that distance. He may even circle, uh, flank the herd. He's smelling. He wants to know if a cow's coming into heat, and 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 so you can get. Uh, interaction going between them very close proximity but when you start getting a distance or if you're in a steep gorge area and there's a bull on each side of the drainage or whatever and they're bugling like crazy back and forth you can be rest assured that's two bulls with their own cows and so what happens these two bulls they're never happy they're not fighting they are not arguing with each other what they're doing is advertising themselves they are still looking for more recruits, more cows to add to their harem. And so what they'll do is advertise themselves by bugling to choose me, to come on over here. They're representing dominance and strength with their sound. And this bull over here is going, no, he, so he's representing himself. Any other cows or even trying to pull cows from the other bull because cows will choose the more dominant structured bull mm. in an area to want to be with that group. And so, yeah. They can pull cows from one another or any loose cows around, but see, they're not in a challenging fighting mode at that distance, obviously. It's way too far. And so this is what they'll do. They'll try to draw other uh, uh, cows their way by pulling them. And that's how bulls actually 
build their harems anyway. They don't run around looking at every draw on mountainside trying to find a cow. They advertise themselves and draw the cows to them. And this is how they do it. That's why so many times I can't tell you how many small groups of cows with no bull I've bugled in over the years. I mean, it's probably been close to 100. And, yeah. and when, oh, it's lots of them. And just cows come running to the bugle. And they want to check you out. They want to size you up to see if you're a type of a breeder bull that they want to be with, just like does will do around a big buck. So anyway, here we have these two bulls. So we knew they had their own animals. So now we are way closer to this one, but this other one sounds bigger, much bigger. But we know they're both probably decent sixes you know and it's over the counter tag and this one we're only maybe 200 yards from this other guy is down a gorge in the, some of the worst downfall you ever seen and we and i told my son let's just go after this guy i mean we're right on the same mountain he is and, and this guy does sound bigger but we're not big trophy hunters you know we're we're just trying to take a five or six or something like that and so over the counter you've got a long bone a recurve you know you yeah. you don't get real real picky and so you're just trying to you know fill the tag there and so anyway we start getting up to this bull, and I told my son, I says, let's see if we can just slip in because they're bugling so well that we might not have to call this bull. And this rarely ever happens. And so we start slipping in, slipping in, and I would say we got to within maybe 40 to 45 yards of this bull. And we hit thick willows. And I'm talking when, when after a forest fire, and we have them every year here. They, it's never ending. Uh, a few years will go by, and, 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 and willows will start to grow. Well, right now in this area – and they usually will top out at about 10 or 12 feet, and that's where they stop. But they start getting thicker and thicker, and they multiple. You know, they're dropping seedlings, and more is growing up, and you can't hardly even walk through this stuff. Well, that bull was in it. He was probably elevated from us maybe 40 to 50 feet, not much. But he was still 45 yards or so above us, but he was in it, and we couldn't get to him. So I told my son, I says, I'm going to try to call him out of there. I said, you sit right here. We have a, you know, a pretty good opening. If he steps out anywhere, you should have a shot. I said, so stay right here. So I backed up to about 150 yards away, and I started with a, with a series of cow calls because I knew that's what he wanted. So I just, yeah, and I, then I would do nothing. I kind of wrestled a little brush. I like doing that clicking my hook, my feet on stuff, my boots to make her like she's walking around milling, feeding, you know, making it real. And so I was doing that. Nothing. I would say two minutes went by. Bull bugled the other bull, the other bull bugled. I did a little set of cow calls again like that. Nothing. So I waited another minute or so trying to keep it real, milling around. I went through the cows uh, calls again, and this time he answered me. And you can tell because right when you're done, he immediately chuckled or just gives, he changed his whole tone. So when he was bugling the other bull, you could hear him going to two and three notes. Then all of a sudden he's kind of went kind of a, and a couple of little chuckles. And I knew he was answering me. That other bull probably couldn't even hear him make that sound. I, there was no question in my mind. I finally got him to respond. So I thought, okay, all he has to do is pop out of there a little bit. I'm 150 yards away. He doesn't even know my son's right there. So I'm sitting there trying to play this out. I give a few more cow sounds. I advance maybe 10, 15 yards, letting him know that when he hears my next sound, I have come a little closer. I'm playing the game. I just need him to pop out. I don't need him to come to me. That's not what my, you know, that's not my attempt here. And so I played it. I went to my right a little bit, a little bit to my left, you know, like a cow meandering and she's feeding. I'm plucking things. I know he can hear me. I make a few more cow sounds, and so I, I, I wanted him to come to me, and so I dropped the note. When a, when a, when a cow wants another animal to come to her, she, she'll have a social, meow, 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 and that's what, how they talk 
when they're amongst one another keeping track. But if something doesn't respond or she wants another elk to come her way, she now changes the cadence of the call. This is how they communicate. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just doing that with my voice. And when I do it with a reed, it sounds much more cow-like. And that, when you change that tone, the bull knows what I'm saying. He's, I'm telling him to come over. I'm asking him to come my way. I just need him to pop out for my son. Well, he's not doing it. He keeps trying to call me to him. And right then I knew, I went, doggone it, he won't leave those cows. A lot of times they will if he doesn't have a hot cow. And I knew he didn't because he would have multiple bulls bugling around him. Mm-hmm. And they're all contending for that hot cow. You see, but he didn't. So I knew he had cows, but I knew nothing was in heat or in estrogen. It's like he's on a string to them. He just won't come any closer. Well, he expects in the real world. What do you think really happens in the real world when he calls to a cow and tells her to come? Yeah, they come running. Absolutely. They start making their way to him. And so this is what he was doing. He was giving her direction and encouraging her to. So if I didn't go to him, who was hanging up? Me or the bull? Mm Mm-hmm. Me. I'm hanging up. He's telling me to come over there. He started telling me to come over there, and he's not moving. So he is wanting me. So, you know, a lot of times hunters will get in that predicament, and they go, oh, the bull hung up. He wouldn't come up. No, he's not. You're hanging up. He's telling you. You're not reading the situation right. You're not reading his message. So I knew he wanted me to come. But, you know, I was still trying to play hard to get and call him over using just the right sounds. I knew the sounds to use, and but he wouldn't buy it. He's telling me he's being insistent. And so you could tell the emotion of some of his bugles, his succeeding bugles were a little longer and a little louder because he is he's getting frustrated. He wants me to come. He's telling me to get up there. And so I decide I, I'm going to move up a little bit more and call him a few more times to see if he'll come. Well, when I did that, all of a sudden I could tell he moved and went further away and to my left. And I'm and he's on a knob. I'm on the downside of it. He's just like over the top of this knob a little bit, and the sound got further away. And I went, oh, crap, he, he went the other way. So I move up a little bit more and cow call again. I haven't done any bugling. I cow call again because he's very interested in the cow, and he calls, and he seems even further. And I'm like, oh, man, he's pulling away from me instead of coming at him. And I thought, okay, where in the heck is Paul? So I keep trying to work him with some sounds. I move it a little closer. Now I feel I'm within a hundred yards of the bull. I've closed the distance a little bit. And he seems to even be getting further away. And I'm like, well, Paul obviously didn't do anything. He's, he hasn't shot. So now I'm going to run up where Paul is. Cause I know the bull's further from him now. And when I get there, there's no Paul. <laughs> He's not there. And I'm like, I told him to stay right. You know what? I bet you that bull started moving and he probably tried to get around him. He's doing something and he maybe he got caught up in the brush because I'm looking all around me and I see him nowhere. Nothing. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want this bull to get away. I'm going to if I was by myself, I'd have ran right at the bull. You see, and give him what he wanted. But my son was right there, and I was just hoping it would pull him out. So I'm thinking, okay, the only chance I have with this bull, this bull has moved at least 50 or 60 yards away. So here is what I did. I decided, all right, I'm taking my bow, no arrow knock, and I'm now I'm heading, and I'm kind of circling around the knob a little bit instead of trying to go over the top because the wind's going down, and I didn't want to get above him. So I'm kind of going around side healing. You know, you get the idea. It's thick timber. We hunt a lot of really dark, thick timber, thick timber and willows in this case. So I'm, and there's a few aspens in there too, but it's, but it's good enough that there's nothing even 20 yards away could see me. So it's, mm-hmm. I got the wind, I got the cover. So I start side healing and I, and that's how I'm whining. 
And the reason I do that is when a cow starts showing, I mean, a lot of excitement and interest in the bull, all of a sudden, that's what she'll do. All these cows I've called in, it seems like as they get closer, I've called in like six or seven at a time, and they're all, <laughs> like, they're whining puppies out there. And I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and, and so if you ever hear that, these are elk. And this is what they do as they run right at me making these sounds. So I, I knew from years messing with them that I need to rapidly call real low and fast. And he'll eat it up. And when I did, all he, he never stopped. He never shut up. As I got to about 40 yards away, I'm running at this bull now, all right? I'm going around the end, and I'm running. And I'm hitting crack, and I'm busting everything I can reach out and grab. This is no kidding. Because when cows are coming in, and there's no problem, everything's fine, they're the noisiest dang things, or bulls the same way. They're the noisiest animals on earth. You're not hunting whitetails here. These right. are elk. When they are clomping and blanking, by, they, when they're, you know, they believe it's a real McCoy, they are not quiet. And so I'm cracking and busting and kicking, and I'm running, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm making that cow sound. I have a reed in my mouth. So I'm not using an external. In this case, I'm using a single reed, just, yeah, 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 yeah. And again, just my voice, but that's the, a, a similar sound I'm using. As a matter of fact, that would work. That, you know, you don't have to be yeah. perfect. And as I'm running at the bull, I get to 40 yards, and I knock an arrow. And I'm staring through some trees and I don't see anything. So I slowly start moving. I keep into all the branches in my way. And all this time I think, where in the crap is Paul? I mean, I know he was just, <laughs> he has to be somewhere around here. I'm, I'm going at the bull and I'm looking and I'm, you know, kind of real careful because there's a bull right over here and I don't see anything. And so I'm slipping through, slipping through, keeping the cover. And I hear the bull make a little bit of a sound. I'm like, man, he's just right over the edge. And so I've got an arrow knocked on my longbow and I'm creeping, creeping. I get to some branches and I'm thinking, man, he's only right there somewhere. And I don't see anything. So I decide not to go around that tree branch, the branches. And I'm staring through the branches in the direction I last heard him. And I'm staring. I mean, I must've stared for a minute. All of a sudden I picked out a time. This bull was staring right at me this whole time. I mm. didn't even catch him. He was on the downward slope. There was a downfall log there, probably two and a half feet tall. He was behind it on the downhill side. And all once I started putting it together, I could see his nose, his eyes, his ears, and a six-by-six six bull. And he was just staring at that. He saw me going to the tree. But he couldn't identify me. It was all broken up, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is a standoff right now. So I'm standing there, arrow knock, not moving an inch, staring at this bull, doing mm. nothing. And all <laughs> of a sudden, the bull kind of perks up his head. He looks at me, kind of twists around, and he hops the log in my direction. Somehow he's convinced that what he saw in the movement over there has to be that cow. He starts walking up to me, walking, walking. And I see him, and I'm like, he's coming. He was at 35 yards. I see him hit the 30. 25 20 and he's still walking and there's a big downfall between me and him some more pine trees and this downfall had limbs everywhere he walks to 17 paces away from me he's standing there broadside and i can see one of the limbs are going it's in a 45 and it's starting from his guts all the way across to the top of his heart a little bit of his lungs to the back of his neck and i was like i can't try that shot with this recurve or this longbow i mean you just, it's not like a compound where you can just go zip and I can miss it by right. an inch or two. And it's like, I can't do it. I, I might be able to make the shot, but I can't chance the glance. He's only right there. And so I'm sitting there waiting, 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 not drawn or anything, just frozen. All of a sudden he walks to a aspen tree, which was about 25 yards away. 
He walked straight to it, and his rear is at me now. And now I have a chance. I see him rake the tree. He's raking it with his brow tines, and this tree is like 10 inches across. It isn't moving. It's big. And he is raking it and raking it. And all, he, all I see is his rear and the back of his head. No shot. But it's my chance to move. I'm like, there's a big granite rock to my right here, about five feet. If I can get on that rock and climb on it, I have some elevation. And it, he he doesn't know I'm there. I slowly creep over, and I don't even look at that rock. I am looking at him this whole time. I get on top of the rock. Now I'm positioned. I'm like, if he goes to my left, when he's done, there's trees. I have nothing. I have absolutely zip. So I'm I'm banking on him turning around and at least looking for the cow. You know, I don't know what's happening. I'm just standing right there, just ready to draw this bow. And he turns around. He looks, and what does he do? He bugles. He just screams. And talk about making a meltdown. I mean, I don't care how long you hunted. When they scream at you that close, and he doesn't even know I'm standing there, he turns and faces me, and he starts walking at me. And as soon as he does, he decides he's going to go back the way he came. That was exactly what I needed him to do. He walked right back on the other side of that tree. And as soon as he cleared that branch, he was barely moving. And I did not stop him. As he went, I mean, it was like clunk. And then another foot. He was in no hurry at all. As soon as he hit it, I drew back and fired. And I saw the arrow hit it in the top of the heart. Right through the top of the heart and lost complete sight of the arrow. Went right through him. As I heard him run, crash, 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 I ran over to the edge and looked, and I saw him all piled up there, racking everything, laying there dead. He didn't go anywhere. And so I'm That's looking awesome. at him like, oh, it was. I looked around <laughs> at him like, man. So I'm thinking, so I turned around real quick to go find my son, and I run right into him. He is standing two feet from me. <laughs> so I'm like, what the? I said, I just shot the bull right there. And he goes, I know, I just saw it. I says, where were you? I looked everywhere for you. He said, when you came around, you know, the, when you started running at him, I said, yeah. He says, well, as soon as you started running, I am at, the, at 40 yards away looking at him. He's about down behind that log. I'm standing there watching him. I got into the cover. He says, you ran right by me, and I am waving my hands at you. <laughs> Stop, he's right there. He says, when you didn't stop, I grabbed a rock, and I threw it trying to slow you down to make you hear it and i hit you right in the back of the leg with it and i said you're kidding me and he goes no i mean it hit you with he said it's a big rock bigger than a golf ball and it hit you right in the calf he goes i knew that was going to stop you but you were breaking things and running and mewing he said you just kept right on running and went right on by me and oh, i was like oh, that's awesome <laughs> And so he says, you know, when the bull was raking that tree, he goes, I was to your left. He goes, I wasn't even 15 feet from you. He says, I needed the bull to come away from the tree and go to your left. He would have walked right in front of me within 10 yards. He says, and here I am thinking, don't go to the left because I have no shot. <laughs> but I, that was a crazy one right there. Let me oh, tell you. Oh, my goodness. He ended that... up killing that bull. And <laughs> it's, you I never mean... know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. I mean, like I said, I haven't experienced that yet, but it's I, I relate a lot of it to turkey hunting. You just never know. You know, whitetail hunting's fun. Being up in a tree waiting for them to come, it's 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 got its own place. But calling and getting in there on them like that and charging and, and learning all that stuff, man, that just gives you some good stories to tell and some amazing, amazing hunts. That's fantastic. That makes the difference of the hunt. You know, if yeah. I would have waited on him the whole time or, or, you know, had the seesaw on, the longer time goes by, you'll find when you're in an encounter, the more your odds 
you know, go down, 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 down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you can make it happen a little bit faster and quicker. And, and I could see it was slipping away from us. It really was. It was it was going the other way, the other way, the other way. That bull knew he should have seen that cow, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. You know, it wasn't his first rodeo. Right. And the counter, you know, I'm sure other people had harassed this bull. But that's one of the biggest things you'll find that to take elk, Many times you just have to think outside the box, especially on heavily hunted areas, Travis. You're yeah. going to find that these bulls will answer you, but they just won't come. And and the reason is, is they've already came once or twice to other hunters and got busted. Right. And, the other, and the hunter couldn't get the shot or the wind switch or they saw the movement. The guy, you know, maybe a shooter or a solo guy, something happened. And so it kind of educated him a little bit. The second time, a little bit more. There's no calling that bull back in. He mm-hmm. is so tough, but if you can get him to answer the cow call and set him up, and this is how I've killed a lot of bulls over the years now, is I, when I know I'm hunting a bull like that, and I've bugled, and I've done everything right for the first two minutes, and he won't move, he won't advance, I already know he's been harassed. This bull has already been picked on. Mm-hmm. He's smartened up real quick. That's when I turn to the cow call. When he answers it, I run right at him. Because you, oh, you catch them off guard. Nobody's doing that. And so when you're, and you run at him, and it's like the real thing, it anchors them, and it's non-intimidational. It's not like I'm bugling, screaming, and challenging as I run at him, and he's totally, you know, pumped up, and he's just tight. Every muscle's exposed. I mean, he is just waiting for something to happen right there. But when you do it with a cow sound, he stays there and waits for you the whole way. Mm. And actually, I three nice herd bulls with a longbow doing that very thing in addition to compound you know ones as well but that's what i have to do sometimes on these heavily hunted bulls i don't do it on every one of them but ones that won't cooperate like that you don't just throw the towel in and go well it isn't going to be that way today he's not aggressive he's not going to come no you have to start thinking okay what can i do what can i do what can i do can i pull should i pull out the antlers i carry a small set of antlers with me and a lot of times I whine and start crashing the antlers like two bulls are, 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 are fighting over this cow. The oh, only, wow. reason, only reason they do that is because she's coming into heat. They do not fight over a cow that cannot be bred. They could care less. But, mm-hmm. boy, you get anywhere in there where you're meow, meow, and you can't get closer, sometimes that's the ticket. I've killed two bulls doing this where I just pull the antlers, clank, 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 you know. And, 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 and you just never know. I probably should do it a lot more, but there are situations where you plant in that seed in that bull's mind that by clanking the antlers and hitting the whiny cow call that it's, you know, showing along with a few groans and panting through your tube, a few glunks. This is a bull trying to taste the air of the, of the pheromones that he's smelling from this cow. She's emitting them because she's in heat as they start coming into heat. 24 hours before they're ready to be bred, they emit an airborne chemical called a pheromone, and it comes through sweat, through their tongue, or through urination. And so when you got a bull right there, or two bulls, and they smell her, they get excited, and they not only smell the air, but they taste it with their tongue. And so they start, they taste, and as they do, they're giving that, they're slapping the tongue against the roof of their mouth, tasting that honey, so to speak. That's what they're doing. That's why you don't see them glunking any other time of the year. It's only when cows are coming in and only when they can smell it that strong, they're tasting it. They're excited. And you'll hear them. 
And that's what they do. They're uh. showing the excitement over the cow. And when you can plant that seed and crash him with another bull that just stepped into the scene because he too wants her, this can take a bull that's seen it all and just unglue him to come over there. Oh, he wants to scent check that area so bad. So see, there's a lot of little things a you can do. A lot of things like that. Yeah. Hunters don't even think of doing. Yeah. And, well, Paul, I, um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, uh, maybe they're not aware of this, but you have an app out there called Elk Nut. And if you search for that in uh, any of the app stores, uh, I downloaded that about a month ago. And I tell you, it is a wealth of information like you just gave out about not only does it tell you like, you know, how to make the, the sound, but like you've been talking about knowing when to make the sound. It gives you that information. You do some great videos. So I would highly recommend guys getting that and checking it out. And then also you just um, you came out with a new podcast with uh, the guys that did the they developed your um, your app, right? Got Game. Yes, sir. Got Game yeah. Tech is, is their name. So, yeah, we're doing a weekly podcast trying to break down sounds for, you know, just short 30-minute or less versions of trying yeah. to go over every single sound and tactic after tactic after tactic, you know, that we would choose under certain situations. So we're the kind of people that try to adapt and tailor our calling to each specific, you know, encounter and not just the same sound system for every elk. Mm, that's that's great. I'd highly recommend that stuff, and I think that's you know you can also go to elknut.com and find that out. Um, Paul, I you know normally I try and keep these podcasts a little bit shorter, but I'm having so much fun. And I hope you don't mind if that was no, <laughs> if that was number three. Would you mind telling number one? Would you mind telling the number one craziest elk story that you have? I, I think our listeners are enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and if not, they can hit pause and come back later. Would you Would you mind telling number one no, for us? The, the number one, and there's a really cr- close rival uh, too. That and the only reason it's number one because this was my son that got it done, and the other one was me. And my son is the one that I don't know. You know, as a father and a son, it, there, there's something special there. If there's a bond there that that we share, it, it's you know, ever since he was like I said, you know, five years old, I used to own a masonry business, and he came to work with me every second he could. He was one of them kids. You know, not every kid is like that with their father. You could have two or three boys and maybe only one want to do that. The others kind of have their own interests, and that's fine. I support it all. <laughs> Paul was the one that I always want to be with dad. I want to be with dad. And then, you know, he's my man now and has his own home and everything and whatnot. But it was there was that bond and connection. Right. And so ever since then, you know, it's been that way. So it's always been special for me. Paul's killed 29 bulls with a bow and I've called all 29 in. So you have no idea what that's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can almost bring tears to your eye. I'm not kidding you. I mean, there's such a bond yeah. there and a connection that it, it, it's special. And I love calling for other people and I've called for a lot of people that took elk and there's just something different about whether it's just father, son or father, daughter, or even your wife or whatever, because it, it, it's different. And we share the interaction. So when I see something special like that, it, it, it I don't know, it, it, it really reaches inside of you and, and there's a connection there and it's, and, and it means a lot more to me. Yeah, this powerful. one here, it is. And, and hunting can really bring people together like this. This mm-hmm. isn't all about killing. There's so much more that happens out there that you see in the elk country that is so awesome. I mean, it's just unbelievable some of the country we see in the mountains and the appreciation you can have for it. And and, and I don't, I'm not even that religious of a person. Of course, I believe in God and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. But I see this out there and, 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 and to be able to share it, you know, it's a uh, you've been out there. It's awe inspiring yeah. what some of that country is like. It's oh, not yeah. just you, about chasing walk- an elk. 
yeah. it's all the pack. It's a complete package. So, and the elk putting one down is the icing on the cake. But in this situation, we actually started this. It was raining. It was a, it was a rainy day, and it was one of these times that because it's raining, we didn't want to venture too far. Uh, uh, two three miles in and just hope you know and flip a coin a lot of times on these rainy days especially if it's not real bad rain but kind of off and on misty and then you know days are like that sometimes during elk season is we'll drive the roads and so we'll drive the roads and bugle about every mile and we'll drive and bugle and drive and, and we're going to try to catch something within three quarters of a mile from a road so if we can get up there and work that bull and get him we don't have very far to come out in terrible conditions you know because everything's wet speed sticks everywhere downfall over and it's kind of miserable and you're soaked even if it quits raining the brush is all wet and you're wet anyway so you know a lot of times we do that well this particular morning we decide we are going to head to an area that we call the pond and it's a pond that sits on top of a mountain and it's probably a little over a half a mile but it seems like the sound carries really well and so we went in the area and called a couple of times nothing nothing moved and all of a sudden we heard a bull bugle and so we're going oh we got one on top right over in this section here there's a bull there so i waited made sure Sometimes I don't hear so good, you know, my son, he hears everything and I go, are you sure? And so we bugled again. We waited about a minute, bugle, boom, he hit it right back. Okay. That's a bull. And he was very defensive. So we, man, we got a good bull. It's a good herd bull here. And I mean, you know, you can usually tell that he's, he's not just a spindly one. So we decide, let's grab our packs and go up after him. And it's just kind of intermittent rain. Things are wet. We get all the way up on top. We're right about daybreak when this happens. So we get up on top. And as soon as we do, I hear a bugle maybe 300 yards to my left. I knew it was a hunter. I went, well, there's a hunter up here. Another guy had come in from the other side. So, you know, I'm giving you a realistic thing of what actually happened. Mm -hmm. I don't sugarcoat nothing. This is what had happened. And I could tell you had a primo special. There was no doubt in my (laughs) mind. I know that three-note yodel. That's every bugle is the same. They're identical. You know, I mean, they're, they're so predictable. And so... When I got up on top, I heard the bull answer him, too. Well, the bull also answered us from the bottom. So I'm on top. This other guy that's up here, which I have no idea who it is, he doesn't even know we, we are there. We came up this other side of the face. So now we're in a big meadow. And this meadow is like 50 acres. It's huge. It has some timber in it, but it's also real flat and has a pond in it. And it's a no-name pond, but we've known it for years. Well, this other guy came in off a little skid area. He walked in a mile and a half to get there from the direction he came. And I can see or hear, I'm, I'm, I say see, but I hear the bull bugle this hunter, and he's putting distance between them now. His three, he's 300 or so from the bull, and the bull is walking down this draw that I know well. It's a benchy draw, and now he, this bull's 400. And we're just sitting there not doing anything. I'm like, man, what do I, I don't want to step on somebody's toes, you know. If this guy starts coming after this bull, I'm leaving him alone and let this hunter have it. Hmm. But he stays there. And next thing I know, this bull's 500 plus yards, and this guy's still ring ding 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 with that bugle. He's not moving it in. <laughs> so I told my son, <clears throat> it's starting to rain a little bit more. I said, we're going to go after this bull. This guy's doing nothing. We're going to follow his bugles. And so I says, I says, are you ready? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, I'm ready. I says, you're going to kill this bull. And he said, okay. And so we take off. Yeah, yeah. Bunch of words. You know, but you want to instill confidence. Oh, in- yeah, yeah. 
So we stay on the downhill side. This bull is kind of in a little swale of a bench, and this bench goes for a half a mile, maybe more. And I know the area, and there's a little hump from the bench, and then on the downhill side that faces the dirt road we came in on. So you kind of get the the idea. And now from the dirt road where we came in on, we're about seven, eight hundred feet high off the road, but in heavy timber. You can't see the road. You can't see anything. But that's where we're at, and he's just over the little hump from us. But we can hear him bugling. Now I hear a real bull. And I can hear the two of them bugling as they're heading. And I told my son, he's, I said, he's heading toward this bedding area where they like to bed. You never know where they're going to be if they're not talking. You just know they like that area. But he started bugling the other bull. Now we don't hear the other hunter at all. Nothing. He's just, he's still over there probably bugling. We're so far away from him. And we're following the bull, following the bull this half a mile. And we're staying on the right side of him so he can't win. So now we start getting over and all of a sudden, the two bugles we could hear, we could tell they're probably 100 yards apart. We hear them bugle five or six times from the same spot. So what does that tell you? They reached their destination. There's no more bugles on the move. So see, as a listener, you want to read these things. Don't wait for five years to go by before you finally put it together. Here's Cut the learning curve down right now. When you hear all the bugles come from one spot, they're where they want to be. What does that mean? They're killable. You have a captive audience. Don't let them see you. Don't let them smell you. They won't leave. They're very defensive, even if there's no hot cows. Was there a hot cow in that group? 100% yes. Mm -hmm. That's why that bull was following him, which he was probably there the whole time, but I couldn't hear him from the other hunter. This was a totally different bugle, and this bull had been there the whole time. And so anyway, the two of them get up there. Here we are faced with the willows. Again, this bull's right on the other side of the willows. We got up there as close as we could. It's rainy. I told my son, we're 50 yards from this bull. I could hear the bull glunking, moaning, panting, scream a bugle at the other bull. And then all of a sudden, he's courting the cow in there again. You could just hear subtle things that you would never hear 150 yards away. Just a little pops and groans and his yearning for this cow. It was so cool to listen to. So my, my son and I are sitting there right next to you. No way to get to this bull. It is just a mountain left of, of willows. So I said, I said, let's just wait. Maybe that bull will push him through and we'll have an opportunity because if he comes through the willows, we're in about a two acre spot where it's sparse. There's a little bit of brush and trees and grasses, you know, that there's enough shooting lanes. Once he hits a spot, we could stop him. I said, so let's just wait. We waited there about 10 minutes, maybe a hair more. It's hard to say. We're sitting there waiting and we're hearing this interaction the whole time. And it's really good learning thing to listen to every little thing they're doing. You could hear the cows talking very silently. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the wind started switching. We could feel it going left, right. It wasn't just coming down the mountain anymore. I mean, you know, some hours have went by. And now, even though it was a rainy day, it started getting fickle. And I told my son, I could feel it. When we're sitting there or warning and encounter traffic, we're constantly monitoring the wind. Right. That. Wind checker is never in my pocket. I have it in my hand. And I'm, choo, choo, choo. I mean, my son, it drives him nuts sometimes, he says, because you're just constantly doing it. I said, you ain't kidding. If it changes for a second, we're, it's done. We're, we're, you know, we're through. And so I'm, I'm very, very, you know, anal about that part is I'm constantly checking. When I could tell it was going haywire, it hadn't went to him, but it was going haywire. I said, we're going to have to do something quick. I said, this bull, he's going to end up winning this. I said, we're going to have to do something real fast. So I, there was a big tree right in front of us. It was, a, it was one of those uh, spruce that where the limbs grew right down to the ground. 
And I told Paul, I said, you get right on this side of it. I'm going to get on the other side of the tree. We were like five yards apart. And right there was a downfall tree, deader than a doornail with limbs all on it. I said, you stay right there. I said, I'm going to stay right over here. I said, I said, I am going to let that bull have it. I said, first I'm going to do is I'm just going to try to call his cow from him. Just kind of a little, and then scream over the top of it. I said, and when I do, I am just going to bust all these branches and we'll go from there. You know, I'm, I'm letting him know what I'm going to do. So he's sitting there. I can't see him at all. He can't see me. It's that thick, you know, between this huge spruce tree. I get over there and I kind of give a couple of the cows and I scream a bugle. I mean, at everything I screamed it so hard and I do this a lot in the right situation that I was almost dizzy. I hit it that I gave it that much. I gave it everything mm. I had. And before I could even get done with it, all I heard was he was I, we were right there. And when I <laughs> he came back, I tried to scream over him and I grabbed a, my arm and just hit those branches as hard as I could and broke like three or four of them. And all I could see was the willows coming right at us. They were parting like the Red Sea. And I kid you not, they were just falling apart. And I mean, all of a sudden this bull blew through there from that bugle. And when he was there, not even five seconds had lapsed. Nothing. He screamed and blew through there. I grabbed my bow because I had bugled, broke the limbs. And now I'm trying to, cause I see this happening fast. I'm looking right uphill. He's coming from an uphill side. He's coming right to that opening. As soon as I grab my bow, my arrow is already knocked because I knew, you know, something like this could happen fast. I'm trying to get my fingers under it on my tab. I shoot three under and he stops right in front of me, seven yards away. And he is just heaving and screams a bugle. And I'm about half draw. I mean, he's just right there. I'm about half draw and I hear, I hear an arrow fly through the air. And as soon as I do, I look, the bull whirls and takes off and I see about eight inches of cedar shaft stuck right out of his side oh. my son had just shot it happened so fast within seconds and my son he just to have it happen that fast and be on it went and all he did was draw is that he saw that bull come through and you know you don't hold these bows i mean you're drawing 60 and he shoots 60 pounds on the reeker and i was shooting 56 57 but i was half draw to let that bull have it and i could see it was a nice six point and paul nailed that thing and we watched that bull drop over dead he drove, he went 55 yards and piled up right there but to that see that sweet. bull come through there <laughs> you with him screaming the entire time this wasn't i'm sneaking through no it was so loud he came through, not just bugling and screaming, but when we could see everything parting. And when he hit that thing and he stopped, he screamed again. And that's when the arrow hit him right there. But, I mean, to see it all happen, it was like, oh, my God. We kind of like, I ran over to see him, you know. I mean, it was just like, wow, what just happened here? And, and so I'm telling him, I was that half draw. I was going to see you. Know, I mean, it's, I'm again, you're with your son. And believe me, I would be in that situation a hundred times over Travis and let him shoot that thing yeah. every time. But I didn't know what he had. I didn't know if he had a shot. The bull went too far. I mean, you know, things are happening quick and you're just trying to make it happen. But, but he ended That's... up seeking that bull and it was so 
awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, and I think uh, I just keep hearing this. You and your son, you and your son. I, I just think what importance that is to take your kids out, be a mentor to somebody, and share. share. I mean, I, I see a lot of today, it's a lot of solo hunting. And, I, <clears throat> you know, there's something to that. I think there's something fun about going out by yourself. Yes. But going out and ex- I, I think sometimes just taking somebody out and experiencing the woods together, that's going to be some of the best times that you ever have and uh, make some great stories, too. <laughs> it is, you know, especially. Especially, you know, I'm very fortunate because <clears throat> we're on the same page. Yeah. Who did he learn to hunt elk from? Right. Me. And, he, you know, it's really just him and I that are going. So everything he's learned, of course, he, he's incorporated some of his own little stuff over the years. You know, he's his own person. He gets creative. But, but he's learned from me. And we kind of now kind of go back and forth. We learn from each other. But we're, when we're in setups... Man, he thinks like me. I'm thinking like him. He knows when to move, when not to move. And and, and and I know that has led a lot to our success, as well as understanding, you know, when to call, when not to call, how to call. When we, we, we went out with the vets this year, when we took the Wounded Warriors, we went to an area we'd never hunted in our life. We'd never even been there because this is where we were taken. They says, you guys are going to help these guys, and you're going to call Paul and I volunteered to do this. And the we the very first bulls, we we came in on six different bulls, five six points, one five point, during the first days of that, and we called every one of those bulls under 40 yards. Mm. And so just showing, you know, it's not like, oh, these guys must know their error, or they know those elk. No, it doesn't matter. We just go on the same tactics. We're going on the communication. We're listening to them. Okay, here's what we got to do to interact. This is believable. This will pull them in. And so no matter where we go, the seven states we've hunted that new, or if I'm hunting in areas I'm familiar with, it's always the same thing. And yeah, if it's father and son and being able to take these other guys out that, you know, that deserved it, it mm-hmm. put their life on the line for us like this, you know, it, it was a real thrill. But it's real enjoyable to be able to hunt with your son like this, like you mentioned, because of the fact that not only is he my son, but we grew together learning yeah. this entire thing as well. And and that means a lot. So I hope a lot of fathers and sons can experience what I have and the blessings that come even when you're not taking an elk that day, you're not going to take an elk every day, but, but relish those moments together because I can remember last week I was 40 years old and all of a sudden a week later, I'm 24 years older. It goes by that fast. I'm yeah. serious. It goes by that yeah. fast. And yeah. now I'm counting the Septembers when I never even thought I'd ever do anything like that. And yeah. so you guys take advantage of these situations and, and, and the time you have with your family members now, because that's how you build those memories and have these special times. I mean, my son and I have taken 63 bulls together. Do you know how many stories we have? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot. I can have you it, on a few more times. I, think. <laughs> I mean, there's so many more last yeah. year's was, was one of the most exciting ones we've ever had of, of a call in. And I won't even talk about that one, but I meant they, you know, they're all good. They're all, they all have their place, but can you believe that I cannot remember the first bull I ever took. I can't. I don't know yeah. where, where it was. Well, and I think because you've had so many different experiences like that, I mean, I, I think that's okay because, it, you know, it. you've had so many different <laughs> stories that have kind of grown and you've learned from along the way. That's, you know, I'm sure it started somewhere. And <laughs> Oh, it did. <laughs> I know it. But it's uh, just kind of like I can't remember which one yeah. it was. But still. You know, yeah. it, it's elk hunting is, is a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I know we've taken quite a bit of time, oh, here, but, no, no, but, no. but I love talking elk. Me too. And, and I just hope everybody else can 
understand and appreciate, you know, the excitement behind it and what can really take place. And if you want to be have some of the most exciting elk hunts, the ones you'll remember the most, guys, I've killed elk with everything, with rifle, muzzleloader, you know, cross, not crossbow, but, 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 but traditional gear, compounds. I've killed them, stalking them, ambushing. There's nothing like calling them. Calling is number one. It really is. And, and don't think elk aren't callable. They are. Even the most pressured elk. You notice some of the little tricks we do, though. See, we're not just sitting back making elk sounds and hoping they come running to us. That just doesn't happen. So you have to get creative out there and make things happen. You know, really play on their mindset for that day. But you're going to find over the years, no matter how many ways you take elk, and it's fun getting them no matter what. But when they come in and you're calling them in, and it, it just seems like there's something special. It's like taking them with traditional equipment over a compound. You're going to see a lot of elk will, will will win those battles because you can't draw and hold on them. You have mm-hmm. to take the shot when it's right there, and they're there too. And they're not 50 yards away. I mean, they're right there. And if right. they catch your movement or any little thing, it's it's different. You know, the very first bull, I can tell you this because it, it made a, a memory in me. The very first bull I ever killed with a longbow was the seventh bull I called in. Mm. I could not kill. And the other six, all under 40 yards. I could not get a shot angle on them. <laughs> yeah, I would have told, they would have been nothing with a compound. And I'm talking over the counter bulls here. These are elk that we, you know, will call in. And most of these elk, just so guys know, they must, I know people will think, oh, they must elk out everywhere. They're screaming. Most of these elk we call, we only hear one bugle out of them. That's it. One. No more. Mm. And they don't, they don't say anything. But we have tactics. Yeah. And it's in the app stuff that we use to pull that one bugle bull in. And it works year after year, time after time. Yeah. And this is what we're doing. That's how we get so many over-the-counter elk. We're not calling in bulls that are just rutting 25 days a year. It don't happen. Yeah, I, so, I definitely, once again, would, would highly recommend guys go check out that app, Elk Nut. Uh, it's definitely worth it. And go to elknut.com. And, what I, and I also, Paul, what I really appreciate about you is you are active on the forums as well. I was on Rock Slide one time asking a question about broadheads, and you were the first person to comment. So I just want to say thanks for all that you're putting out there, being willing to help guys, because you know we need it. <laughs> so, and, no, you uh, know what? It, yeah. It's something I enjoy doing. This has nothing to do with trying to make money. It really doesn't. This is yeah. all about trying to help people and and i just i just love talking elk and and, and sharing information if well, i can we'll definitely have to have you back on again to hear some more of those stories and i just want to thank you for your time thanks for coming on the, the podcast and sharing all that that was some great stories no problem thanks a bunch for asking me travis i, I, really, I really do appreciate it absolutely Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as what I did. Uh, Paul just has the ability to like take you with him into the woods. He sets it up so perfectly, and man, he just makes me hang in there, hang in there, and then he hits you with with the punchline of how it all went down and just gets you fired up. My heart was was pumping several times throughout that, and uh, just really appreciate Paul doing uh, the podcast with me. You know, I, he said something that just kind of made me think a little bit. He talked about not being a religious person, but knowing that there is definitely a higher power and a creator. And I, I just think about the way elk are wired. All the intricacies, you know, some guys, like he said, will just go out and just blow a bugle, and it's it's very robotic uh, kind of thing, but uh, Paul really understands their language and understands that they are saying something to each other, and that, to me, just points to a higher power, a, a creator. I believe it is a God that gave us uh, more than just that. I think he gave us uh, the Bible to tell us who he is. That's my opinion on it, and... Um, 
you know, but I, I think that you can just look out into nature and see all of these crazy things that are just, I don't know, I don't know if you ever watch Planet Earth, but you watch that and you just see these animals doing some amazing things, and we don't even understand half of why they do what they do, but we love to try and learn. And uh, I just don't believe in a random universe that came about by a random chance, and these things that happen are just randomly random. <laughs> I think I think that it's too intricate for that to have happened by all the millions of random chances. I, I think think that there's definitely a creator that made it, and uh, I think he wants us to know who he is, um, something worth thinking about and, and learning more about. I want to thank Paul for coming on again. I want to encourage you guys to head over to our YouTube channel. We just released a brand new turkey pump-up video. Uh, it's a minute long, and I think it's worth a minute of your time to go check that out on Shutting Light Outdoors uh, over on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and then we've got three more videos coming out um, that we've been working on that I think you're going to like as well. So, Guys, thanks again. Uh, if you have a story, send it over to SheddingLightOD at gmail.com and I'd love to have you on and remember as always to shed the light.